everyone. Joe Francis here, and this is the Joe Francis podcast. We've got a great show for you today. But before I introduce uh, today's guest, I've got a quick favor to ask from you. Um, if you get any value from this show or you've got any comments on previous shows, please do put some notes in the comments below and hit that like, subscribe, and notifications buttons. It's really going to help the channel grow. Thanks very, very much, and looking forward to your active engagement. So with that said, let me introduce today's guest, Vikram Kamath. Vikram Kamath is an entrepreneur who stepped off the corporate bandwagon in his pursuit of a meaningful life. Professionally, he consults with startups and SMEs in the areas of growth and go-to-market strategies. He is very passionate about his farm, Tea Stop, as well as Firefly, the single origin coffee that they grow there. His personal aim is to connect more people with nature and a natural way of living. Vikram completed his MBA from the Indian School of Business and is a mechanical engineer from NIT Calicut. Vikram Kamath, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me on the call, on the show. And uh, I must admit, it sounds so much bigger and better when I hear it from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on. So this, this show is all about really hearing people's uh, journeys throughout their professional career and into entrepreneurship. Um, it's probably a good place to start uh, on your journey, which has its own twists and turns about what your, your early uh, ambitions were and your, the early parts of your professional career. And then we can obviously get into how that, uh, how you ended up in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, it's always a good place to start. And uh, I think we, uh, we are probably from a generation where choices were relatively constrained. So uh, I must admit that, uh, I mean, I did pick from among the options, which were many, engineering, medicine, a CA, so I think the uh, usual suspects. Yes, usual suspects. You can have any color as long as it's black. So, <laughs> so I stumbled. I stumbled my way into engineering, uh, and uh, I do like to think that my family was relatively open-minded, so I did have the freedom of choice. But um, I think I did. I was a very hands-on person, liked uh, doing things myself, like getting things done trying to figure out why something doesn't work. So that way, I think engineering was probably a natural choice for me back then. But very soon, uh, getting into college, I, I realized that it's not about what you're studying, but it's very much about the peer group. There's a lot of off-classroom learning which happens, and I think that's that's personally enriched me a lot, be it the engineering that I did or the MBA that I went on to do a few years down the line. So I think it's 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 really stood by me in my life journey, the off-classroom lessons which you learn from your peers, from the faculty. So all of that has really built me to be the person I am. And uh, I think having done engineering, I was very clear I didn't want to follow the heard and go into software, which was the norm back then. You would become an engineer, you go join a software company, and then life was pretty much charted out for you. But I, I sort of, I, I always tend to go in the other direction from the crowd. So I, I went into 
an engineering company. I joined Sengobin back there, uh, back in the day. And uh, I used to work in a company that used to make grinding wheels. So I used to be the, uh, the only engineer in a room full of software batch mates when we meet. So I think uh, I, I enjoyed my days working in the field. I was out there, down in the trenches, as you may call it. And uh, uh, really moved around India, traveled a lot, met people. Uh, worked my way up the ranks and uh, slowly reached a point after three, four years of working where one says, what next? And that's when the MBA bug bit me and I joined the Indian School of Business in Hyderabad. And that opened an altogether uh, new set of vistas for me and a whole bunch of new people, people who think differently, people from different walks of life. And, and that really helped me to move to the next part of my life where I had a chance to work abroad in Europe. I worked with a steel company. And uh, so that gave me a quick uh, sample of working outside India, holding your own in a world which was quite foreign to me. So, so I think all of that helped. And then I did come back to India subsequently. And uh, I was working throughout in the sales and marketing side, always been a people person getting things done, like I said. So I, I was always on the sales and marketing side, looking after growth, building teams, uh, developing products. That's what I like doing. And uh, I think I was at it for close to around 17 years. And that's when the next bug bit me and I said, hey, what next? So, and that's when I decided to become a consultant. So always been a bit of a generalist, generalist uh, jack of all i won't say the rest but uh, yeah I, I liked the variety in what i do and the different problems which life used to throw at me so i think having gone through all that the corporate life has to offer started off as an engineer moved up as a product manager became a business manager became head of projects for a certain point of time so i did different things in the corporate uh, arena and then I decided let me try and put all of that to use for for myself and that's that's when I took a step out of the corporate arena and I started working with smaller clients uh, and I very quickly realized that what we took for granted in the corporate life did make a difference for these smaller clients and that's when life started becoming more meaningful as I put it and and I started enjoying the work which I was doing and I was working with people to whom my inputs mattered. I was very much in control with what I was doing and that's how I moved from being, from being one among many and to being one among my own. That's that's the journey which I had briefly. So. Yeah, that's, that's uh, extremely interesting actually. The, the move from corporate life, where obviously you were part of a multinational juggernaut and then going uh, to consulting on your own, did that begin as a kind of side hustle or did you actually leave the mothership completely, no safety net, and went directly into this? So uh, in, in hindsight, uh, maybe I could have sampled that way of life before actually moving to it but i've always been a pretty straightforward person so uh, having a side hustle really didn't occur to me and uh, 
always like to dive deep into what I do. So I pretty much jumped off the deep end by leaving the corporate side completely and then moving into the uh, consulting side. But uh, I think there probably what made a difference was my initial few clients were uh, very stable and uh, I had contracts with them which were pretty much bordering on employment. So I mean, uh, so instead of working seven days a week, I was working three days a week with a specific client. So I used to travel to another city and it was very similar to the work I was doing. But so in some sense, I did ease myself into going from a corporate full-time job to a client, which was very similar to the work I was doing earlier. And they wanted me for three days a week. And then post-COVID, then I completely migrated to what is now more in the traditional consulting space where I have multiple clients, do multiple assignments. But yes, I, I did ease my way through it. And uh, yes, I think that that's how it's been for me. So the that first part with, with many people, when they do start uh, decide to step off the corporate ladder, it can be, you know, uh, fairly scary the first few months of it while you're scratching away trying to find clients trying to get patronage and you know uh, keep yes. steering the ship um, in yes. this case um, you you were fairly confident of having initial clientele that would get you through like the first six months or so and from there on did it grow organically or did you have um, some specific approach to marketing your services so uh, it, it was a bit mixed, Joe, because uh, like I said, the initial two years when I struck out on my own, uh, I did have the benefit of having uh, one or two clients who were my anchor clients. So, and that was the time when I was also incubating the uh, the farm uh, side of my I mean, That's one of my other passions besides work where I have a farm in Kurg. And uh, we sort of rebooted that from scratch. So, so that was my side hustle when I was doing the consulting, uh, the initial consulting runway. So I, I uh, was not so focused on growth in the beginning. It was more a matter of easing my way into it and trying to figure out how the whole, because that, like you mentioned, there's that whole transition from working for someone to being a consultant. So, yeah. I mean, you no longer have that familiarity of the routine which is given to you. So when you're in the corporate life, your calendar pretty much fills up on the first of the month and you have your, you have your stand-ups, you have your weekly meetings, your monthly meetings, your quarterly meetings, your strategy meetings. Once you strip all that away, then you realize that uh, you've got more than half, I mean, you, you suddenly realize that there's 24 hours in a day and there's a lot of time <laughs> once you take all the meetings out of the picture, right? So We used to have meetings to discuss what meetings we would have as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, I think, so I think the first, the first transition for me was wrapping my head around the fact that I, I no longer had to sit in so many meetings and that I could actually do some work, yes. which uh, people appreciated. So I think uh, that was that first shift for me. And uh, it's not until COVID hit that I moved away from the anchor client model to where more clients were part of my uh, 
part of my portfolio. And I think that's when some of these problems which you mentioned so so it was all going good till COVID happened. And uh, that's when I had to actually strike out on my own, meet multiple people. And uh, it was not, I mean, being a uh, being a standalone consultant is is probably different from having your own consulting firm, which is definitely where I aim to be. So right now, the marketing is more at a personal level. It's more through referrals. So I think it's, it's a lot about putting yourself out there and uh, making sure that you're doing good work, which then in turn results in more uh, referrals and contacts coming in. So I think uh, growth and marketing is, is fairly slow in the initial periods, but putting yourself out there and making sure that you're delivering good work, I think in some sense that's, I mean, you are the product end of the day. So you're building uh, the product, which is yourself. And so I think that's where I really took those first few years off to build the product. And now I'm in a space where I can, I can now think of scaling up. So I would say the journey for me is just starting in that sense. So what, what does um, a typical engagement look like uh, for you with the, with the consulting work that you're doing? So uh, Joe, I, I typically, uh, try to work with clients where I can leverage my past functional skills as well as my domain knowledge, which is there. So this typically means I try and work with clients who are in the B2B space. Uh, though I don't let that be a restriction per se, but I, I largely work with people in the B2B space and I, I work with them uh, on a wide range of pro I mean problems, right from product development, product launches, streamlining, their sales team, how do you uh, evaluate various market opportunities for growth. Right. So I think these are some of the typical problems which I solve for my clients. And uh, I think from a typical day perspective, it's, it's since I work for multiple people, it's, it's multiple, it's, it's almost like, uh, if I think back, it's like going to school or college where you have multiple periods for, I mean, you have multiple subjects in different parts of the day. So I sort of have to now uh, split my day across and I wear multiple hats depending on the client I'm working with. And uh, while I did start out with a relatively small uh, set of uh, offerings or solutions for my clients, I've pretty quickly uh, reached a stage where it's where it's, it's more holistic because when you're working with a startup or when you're working with a SME, it's all about the real results which you can trigger. So, and, and what that typically means is you no longer have that luxury of restricting yourself to just the strategy part of it. You no longer have that luxury of saying, I will look at only sales, marketing is different or uh, the operations is different. So then it, it very quickly morphs into I, I need to do A. So what are the things which I need to do to make sure I hit A? So what it very rapidly becomes is it becomes a multidisciplinary problem. And that's where I enjoy working with clients. I think clients also see value in working with me because I don't straight jacket the problem and I sort of see how the problem forks out and you sort of solve that 
for clients. So I think it's, uh, I think the simple answer to your question is, uh, how does my day look like? It's, it's I, I have split personality at times in terms of the number of clients I work with. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm figuring out how to compartmentalize different uh, clients, different problems. And uh, it, it has its good and its bad. I think the good is you sort of try to see how to cross deploy solutions which you see in one industry versus another. The bad, like I said, is you end up with split personalities. So. <laughs> in general, are you focusing on uh, industrial and manufacturing or do you work across multiple domains? Uh, industrial and manufacturing is definitely a, a comfort zone for me. Uh, so, like I said, my initial few clients were from the manufacturing domain. Uh, one of my clients now uh, is in the industrial automation space. So, I think that's definitely a, a sweet spot for me. But I have uh, over time branched out. So, I also work with uh, clients who are in the services space. Uh, I work, I mean, I have this very interesting assignment where uh, I work with an industrial caterer. So this gentleman was, uh, they, they ran an industrial canteen, which was again uh, supplying to various uh, manufacturing units in the vicinity. So, uh, and he approached me because he had a very simple offer. It was, I mean, from my manufacturing brain, I looked at it as an operations problem. So he wanted me to organize his stores, uh, document, uh, the recipes, built a bill of materials for his recipes and we very quickly did that and that's when we realized that Excel is, uh, I mean, Excel can solve a lot of the world's problems. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of common sense in Excel which goes into setting things right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've branched out over time to various uh, industries as well. So, you mentioned that you have to wear multiple hats and look at a, a, a problem holistically. Um, does that generally mean that you would need to be part of a team in tackling a problem as well? So do you generally find yourself as a prime contractor or you're brought in independently or you're brought in as, as part of another party's teams in uh, solving these problems? Mm -hmm. So it, it, uh, it depends, Joe. So uh, uh, there are clients where I've been deeply embedded into the uh, organization where, I mean, I, I, uh, from an external perspective, it's almost like an employee in the organization. I have my visiting card, I have email IDs, I have access to the company systems, I had a team which was reporting into me. So I think that's on one end of the spectrum where I was virtually a fractional employee at their head. And on the other side, uh, I have engagements where I've completely delivered remotely it's, it depends on the problem that one is trying to track, tackle. So if it's something like research or strategy, it can be done remotely with just interaction with the key stakeholders. But if you're trying to actually implement change, if you're trying to launch products, launch services, these are engagements where I tend to be more involved with the team. And now that the way of the world has changed, we're all rushing back to the offices because I think that's where everyone seems to be comfortable. So so we're so I think it's it's yeah it's very much going back to an on-site world as compared to the off-site world which we had a few years back. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy time, wasn't it, during the whole COVID thing? And it did force people to um, try new ways of working. And and some of the new ways were good in certain ways, uh, but in other ways, certain things are lost. And, and I think, yeah, you're right that uh, people are beginning to see the value in that face-to-face uh, -face interaction again and kind of getting back into the offices. Um, did, did you find that a, a tough or, you know, a challenging period of time in, in your business? Because the, the I guess that whole uh, situation was happening around about the time that you were stepping into this. I, I think it, it was a challenging time for us. A lot of us, and it did help us to reinvent uh, the way we work. So I think uh, from a consulting standpoint, while we initially went through this Initial part of the pandemic was a whole lot of panic and people trying to figure out what to do. So that was a period when nobody was willing to touch a consultant. So it was all about just rallying internally and figuring out what to do. So that was an extremely tough uh, time uh, professionally, emotionally, you're trying to figure out. It's like you're going around rudderless. But uh, I think that very quickly settled down to a situation where working remotely became the norm. So I think that opened a lot of doors because then people were willing to consider uh, working with someone who was not in the same city, different part of the world. So I think that definitely opened a lot of doors because typically uh, a normal conversation pre-pandemic would be, okay, which city are you raised in? Do I have my offices there? Will you be able to interact? How much of uh, face time am I going to get to you? So I think those were some of the initial questions uh, which came to deciding uh, who do I work with but those very quickly disappeared and it's uh, it was like okay you have internet uh, and you have a phone connection we can work so I think that's how the world changed and I think that was positive for me uh, it did throw up a lot of challenges for me on the farm front because I was based in Bangalore and the farm was in Kurk almost six hours away so I think those were places where we struggled. So I would say any anybody who had a physical business struggled a lot. Uh, anybody who was in the knowledge space or something which could go online. So while the Amazons of the world made, uh, I think, made many uh, people who had physical businesses, even my colleagues who were in my older life, I mean, St. Gobind. So, so I think they, I mean, keeping those off factories running, having people coming and managing physical uh, warehouses, uh, shops. I think that was a very challenging time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it sounds like then when you uh, began the, the consulting business, it was kind of geared towards uh, an international play right from the beginning, or did, was it primarily a domestic play from at the beginning that kind of morphed into international because of uh, the method of working i think i think initially i was really playing my cards very close so it was very uh, hyper domestic within uh, the region where i was based out of uh, people who are very close to i mean like i said I, my first client was an industrial product client so i think that way it was initially very very much in my comfort zone and i've gradually grown out of that so i think yes now i am equipped to take on clients who uh, come from an international uh, space. But uh, initially, it was very much domestic, very much 
products and services which I had worked with, which I could relate to immediately. My value proposition was also very clear to the client. Uh, so I think it's it's grown from being hyper local to a space where now I'm confident of uh, working with clients, and clients are also confident of working with me, being in a different region. So I think that's there. Fantastic. So, okay, you go from a huge multinational to doing your own uh, consulting work, utilizing the skills that you developed over those years. However, that's all kind of business to business stuff. The farm that you mentioned that was, uh, you know, a kind of uh, side hustle, uh, and I guess is is still a side hustle, or is this now your your main uh, area of endeavor? Walk us through how that whole thing began. So, so like I said, I think that the farm was a was a bug which bit me uh, uh, way back in uh, 2010, uh, and it I think it took it took its time to sort of uh, grow into something bigger in my brain till till it reached a point where I could not ignore it anymore. So, like I said, 2017 is when I took a call to really set up the farm and get it going. So I think the, the farm was a side hustle in the beginning and still from a revenue perspective, I would say it's it's not up there with what consulting generates. But uh, like I shared with you, my, my, the passion is the farm and the agriculture which happens there. So I would very much love to take the business to a point where that's where I'm personally involved and uh, so if, if I had to look at which do I scale up and build it to a semi-corporate business, I would rather scale the consulting to a point where I'm not required to be there all the time and I would spend my time at the farm um, and the uh, activities there. But that's still got some way to go before um, uh, it, it reaches a point where uh, it can be independent in that sense. But uh, I think that's the nature of the beast there. So I think uh, it does take a fair amount of time. It, it took us three years to finish construction of the, the farm scale, uh, which we built. Uh, the, uh, the agricultural part, we've got coffee, we've got pepper there, and we've just planted some avocados there. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, not very similar to the speed at which we are used to operating at a corporate level. So one, I mean, we did. I did start out with my Excel sheets and powerpoints uh, at the farm also, but then we very quickly realized that it's it's best to leave the laptop at home and then sit with pen and paper there. But uh, I think that is going to take some time. And uh, like I mentioned, I mean, the consulting side also it took me a few years to refine the product. So I think here also we're going through that journey right now. So while we've been open for business since the beginning of this year, I think it's still uh, early period where we're getting to know the customer better on the farm stay front. So uh, it's it's different from, uh, we, we've modeled the farm as well as the coffee and a lot of the things which we're doing based on uh, what, how, if I was a customer, how would I want to be treated there? So that's not exactly the most scientific way of doing it. So I think that there is scope to build there based on the initial learnings. 
both in terms of the farm stay experience as well as the coffee which we are selling currently. So I think uh, it's it's going to take some time for that to be the primary engine of growth. But I'm pretty sure that once that reaches a certain scale, that that could very well be uh, where I spend most of my time compared to the corporate world. So. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, so you've gone, I mean, obviously your previous work brought you in touch with um, issues around supply chains and distribution models and so on, although, albeit in the business uh, to business sense. Have you found um, a lot of those that knowledge useful in the, in the consumer context as well? Is your is the farmer direct to consumer model, or do you are you uh, looking at retail distribution? So right now we're looking at a direct to consumer model, uh, and right now I'm the only farmer, so to say, in my uh, in the business. But we we very uh, quickly looking at a model where so right now we're looking at single origin coffee which is primarily grown at our farm so all the products which we are starting to market is what would be grown in our farm but and the idea really is that this is the beta product i mean the beta product if i may call it where you're sort of trying to test the market in terms of figuring out consumer preferences but uh, yes the idea is to very quickly scale to a point where then you start procuring from the neighboring farms uh, have people follow. I think the reason I got into this was to try and see how one could again not follow the beaten path because right now if you see be it the agriculture that is being practiced in that part of Kurga, generally there are practices which are not scientific which are uh, quite uh, adverse to I mean to the consumer when you look at what you I mean the coffee which you consume the amount of uh, pesticide or the amount of uh, artificial inputs which go into that, the chemical inputs. So I think there's uh, all of this is broadly from a perspective of trying to see how can we do this in a more natural way. So I think unless I do this in my farm first and show people around me that proof of concept, uh, I think the rest will not follow. So I think that showing that proof of concept both from an operations perspective as well as from a marketing perspective at least can be done. I wouldn't claim to be the first person to be doing this. We do see brands are a dime a dozen. And uh, I think a lot of large farms in Purga are now trying to go direct to consumer. Uh, so uh, it's it's going to take me some time to figure out what would be that secret sauce. But uh, I'm not in a hurry to get there. I think that was one of the reasons why I said let me pursue something uh, on the agricultural side because it's... it's uh, it's also part of my, uh, I think part of what drives me is to see how does one live a meaningful life. So it's a lot about slowing down, uh, trying to tackle one problem at a time rather than the mad rush of trying to. So in terms of scaling up also, I'm, I'm being judicious of what to scale and what not to scale. Because then uh, I had a friend uh, who was also from one of my college alumni and he was also in the manufacturing industry he's also following a similar lifestyle where he's a consultant as well as a farm he's, he's in Kerala so he told me that uh, Vikram if if we scale this up to a level where it becomes an enterprise then it's just like working in office why did I leave office to do all of this so I think that's the 
tight rope which i am trying to walk that you need a certain level of scale uh, to be sustainable but then how do you keep it at that level where you still enjoy doing it and it doesn't go beyond uh, that to uh, something which becomes work so it's, it's, it's when you're working it's it's work but it has if it's a passion then you can do it 24 hours a day 7 days so certainly tight rope which i'm walking is how do you make sure that your passion delivers enough uh, for all that's needed but at the same time how do you uh, build it on principles which are necessarily sound because ultimately be it my consulting or be it uh, the farm it needs to look after itself it cannot be dependent on me as a person so i think that's where uh, a lot of the corporate learnings are going to come in so it's, it's always going to be an amalgamation of what i did in my corporate life versus what i am now learning on the ground so i think we'll have to see how it how it goes ahead i think it's really interesting that you uh, you talk about um meaning uh, because that is one of the factors that drives i think um a lot of people towards entrepreneurship um, having a, a sense of purpose uh, to their life that they can really get behind that idea of being on a on a ladder that you want to climb and I suppose there are different metrics of ascertaining that meaning and not all of them will be financial although they're probably going to be part of it um, as well clearly some of that has an impact on how a business scales and uh, you know uh, what you can invest in it and what kind of investments you take have you thought about any of those elements uh, for your businesses or are you keen for them to be you know organically grown not to use a pun from a farmer yeah <laughs> yeah yeah organic growth is what i'm, I'm aiming for uh, pun intended but uh, I mean, no, but I think jokes apart, uh, metrics are important. And I think uh, without metrics, uh, you're just drifting from place to place. So I think uh, metrics, and when one tries to pursue a meaningful life, I think uh, financial metrics are good and they are important because uh, uh, there was somebody who said, I mean, money can't buy you happiness. But money can solve a lot of your problems. So, so uh, I mean, uh, so I think money is necessary. So one cannot be uh, as oblivious to and uh, be that uh, you cannot renounce things at that level. So I think while one chooses to follow a more meaningful life, that does not mean that I would not uh, enjoy things which money can bring. So I think. Uh, financial metrics are the first level of uh, uh, what one needs to follow and I think these would be the typical metrics which any business would follow. Are you getting a certain level of revenue? Are you covering costs? I think these are the basics. Uh, that's really not worth going into. But I think the metrics which really make a difference uh, are the personal metrics which come in. Uh, I, I know people have beaten the whole work-life balance thing to death, but uh, it, it's not necessarily that one has to balance out the other. So I think a very uh, strong metric for me is, uh, am I there uh, for, for myself 
as a person? Am I there for myself and my family around? Because only if I'm able to look after myself and if I'm able to get enough time to invest uh, in myself, uh, do I then think of something beyond uh, myself? It, it sounds a bit selfish, but uh, if, if I am... Uh, of sound mind and body then I can contribute to people around me. So I think one of the important metrics here is like how much time are you able to give to yourself need self-development need looking after your health or being there for your family. I think that's a very core metric for me uh, and that's something which I've been able to hold on to. So I think uh, if you're able to keep track of the personal metrics and the financial metrics uh, I think that's a great place to start off right so and uh, i would say that right now i'm at a place where i'm able to strike a balance between the two so uh, i think entrepreneurship one thing one needs to be clear is that you're not going to be making as much money as the corporate it's going to be a fraction of uh what you made earlier but i think uh, it's surprising how long i mean how much you can stretch on a budget when you're when you're bootstrapping or when you are uh, looking at the world from a different perspective. So I think uh, those are some of the metrics from a company and from a personal perspective. And also, uh, you mentioned uh, looking at investments, looking at growth. I think one should look at investments and. Uh, these are investments both in the personal side as well as for the business. And I mean, for example, the, the farm which I have uh, started. So it's we've built the farm, we've uh, raised capital from friends and family. So it's, I mean, there's some part of the seed capital is mine. And we've also borrowed from uh, friends and family. And it's uh, while people have trusted me to deliver on their uh, investment, uh, it's it's still very much a professional relationship with the people I've borrowed. They do get a rate of return uh, and I have to make sure that my operations are in sync with uh, uh, the uh, capital that has been borrowed and the costs which are there. So I think one does need to plan for growth and that has to happen heavily. So I think, uh, but there I'm a little bit uh, generous in terms of the metrics. So in terms of growth percentages, I think growth percentages are something which I've been listening to all my life. So I've always been questioned why this much growth, why not more or why less. So I think growth percentage is something which is quite deceiving. So I, I tend to look at the bottom line. Um, so I think if you're doing good on the bottom line and you have... Uh, adequate peace of mind which is different difficult to put a number to that but i think if this peace of mind and you're hitting your monthly targets in terms of revenue and water line you're good to go so i think uh, and and what i've realized joe is that the metrics and plans are good but uh, in an entrepreneurial journey things do go wrong things go wrong with uh, clockwork precision so they do go wrong uh, uh, quite often and quite regularly. So I think that's where, so while the metrics are good as, as a poll star, I mean, for you to navigate it, I think the metrics are good for you to keep sense of it. But uh, obsessing over the metric and losing sleep over it is something which I try not to do because uh, I think the first few years are going to be bad. One needs to 
buckle in and uh, be prepared for that. But uh, yes, the metrics need to help you and keep you on course. That's there. Well, you, you've got two sort of interesting businesses. One business being the consulting side, which is, uh, I'm assuming you, or do you have a team as well? Uh, but the other uh, is the is the farm side of things. So the the brand development for both of those, I guess, is uh, quite a different uh, approach. How how have you handled that on the farm side, especially with such a, a product as coffee that obviously has a a, a lot of competition? Yeah, so uh, so it, it's actually ironic the amount of time I used to spend on marketing and brand building when I was in the corporate compared to uh, what I'm doing myself now. I, I would say that um, uh, it's there can be more work done on the marketing and brand building side. Uh, and it's uh, both are different uh, in some sense, like you rightly pointed out. Right? I mean, the consulting is something where... Uh, I think my uh, professional experience is more, it's easier to map uh, onto that and the brand building on the consulting side is of a different nature, whereas on the farm and the coffee, that's of a different nature. So uh, while I work with a group of professionals on the uh, consulting side, we've yet to build a brand around it. So I think that's something which uh, we've reached. Uh, I mean, we've reached a point where it's now necessary to form a firm. Initially, it was all about me, and uh, so I was the brand, I was the product. So it was largely my face which was driving things. But I think we've now reached a point where we've got a group of professionals who are together, uh, who are able to contribute on different parts of the problem. So we've reached a point where. So I would say the marketing and brand building journey in consulting is just about to start. Uh, on the farm and on the coffee side, uh, we did, we've taken some steps because there being a direct-to-consumer business, branding and uh, the marketing approach does play a big part. So we did involve professionals in terms of building the logo, the brand, all of that. And then we've, we've largely drawn, uh, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that the brand and the product has to um, has to be very tightly linked to each other. So, so for example, uh, if you see the logo of our uh, farm, it's actually uh, an image of the homestay, the hills in the background with the sun uh, setting. So it's 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 a very visual logo. And T stop is nothing but Teralu. Teralu is the village where we place, and so T stop. So it was like. You come from the maddening rush of the city, you come to Teralu and stop, take a pause. So that's how we built the brand Teralu Stop, T-Stop uh, in short. And it's also a great conversation starter. People say, we've got a coffee estate, so where's the tea here? So where's the tea stop? So yeah. I've got all, all of those happening, like why are you serving coffee and not tea? So I mean, it, so it, it basically it's a little bit of the gorilla tactics where you sort of get the thing implanted in your brain. So I think we tried a bit of that and so far it's been working for us. T-Stop has been fairly good recall from the people who come and even Firefly Coffee was, uh, we did try the conventional, uh, we, we did, I mean, mapped out competition, we did all of the fancy marketing tactics and then one day we were sitting at the estate 
uh, having a drink in the evening and then we saw the fireflies flying all around and then we said this is it it's firefly coffee so so some of these things have just stumbled on it but i think there's a lot of room to uh, now get systematic and take it to a point because it's all meet uh, the coffee meet the farm stay like i said these are early days and we've reached a point where we've tested the product out we've got a good response from people and now i think to take it beyond where we are right now so for example on the farm stay side we've done a few partnerships with people who are helping us to uh, market the property as well as manage the property on a day to day basis on the coffee also we've looking at a few partnerships so i think it's it's um, like in any business it makes sense to have certain partnerships trying to run the whole thing independently is uh, is counterproductive so but as an entrepreneur you do you do these things in the early part of the journey and and i value that because uh, unless i know the pain of doing that particular assignment or that task how can i then count on someone else to do a pretty good job so i i, I tend to attach a lot of importance to that so right from doing the initial facebook i mean i'm a facebook virgin so i was not on facebook i was linkedin was where i, I mean where i was most comfortable so now now you see me on facebook you see me on insta so i'm uh, i'm pushing myself out there out of my comfort zone so i think uh, i think uh, on the marketing side it's it's the journey is just starting for us yeah. i think uh, uh it's it's easier said than done to translate the basics from the corporate life to here uh, when it comes but uh, i think having done that in a different life helps to make the right decisions here which so it's, it's it's all about when do you want to push the pedal and take it ahead so i think i'm i'm holding back on that but uh, i think it's time it's time to put the right foot down yeah Yes, right foot down heavily. So, <laughs> so you 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 distribute. Uh, sorry, you sell the the coffee via e-commerce. Do is it your own site or? So we we built our own site, uh, and like I said, early days. So we've been going D to C. We used tools like WhatsApp, WhatsApp uh, stores. We've uh, so we've largely been using social media to sell the coffee. We we're not yet listed on. Uh, any of the major portals sure. we've not done, and this is primarily because we, being a single origin coffee, having uh, it's not hundred percent organic right now, but we're getting there slowly. So we'll be uh, just trying to stay true to that ethos of being single origin, being a limited batch. So I think that way the volumes are not too huge. So if I try to push the pedal in terms of uh, partnerships and the retailing, then I I probably would run out of coffee and then I would need to buy it from my neighbor and then it's no longer single origin. So so it was always listening to the devil on the right and the angel on the left. So what do you do? <laughs> you yeah, do you carry out all of the activity from bean to final product, as in you know roasting, grinding, and all that. So we do uh, a large chunk of the activity right down to the the getting the bean. Uh, ready for processing so right from growing drying it hulling it so but for the final roasting we have someone in uh, bangalore who helps us with the final roasting and the packaging that last mile is taken care of by one of our vendors 
and uh, I would like to see us getting to a point where we do this also in house. Uh, but right now we're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no point uh, taking on such costs until. Uh, yeah. I know. think what what one what one learns on the entrepreneurial journey is it's uh, not too much fixed costs. So the more yeah. so the more you can do as a service, which does not uh, reduce the value of what you're doing. Uh, I think that's that's really the mantra: how to bring the costs down without investing in it. You would rather deploy that capital elsewhere rather than uh, put it in certain parts where the volume is not enough to justify it. So, well, as we come towards the um, the end of this uh, this uh, session, there's a few things I just wanted to ask about mindset for for people that um, like you have spent time in corporate life and maybe um, have ideas around this issue of personal purpose and meaning in entrepreneurship. Um, what would you say to such people when they don't know exactly what it is that they want to do, but they know that they will, uh, they're not finding their ultimate purpose, um, perhaps in corporate roles? I think, uh, uh, I mean, if I, if I got a, a dollar for everyone who told me that entrepreneurship is a lonely journey, I, I probably would have been rich by now. And, uh, I, I can't emphasize that more. So I think as an entrepreneur, uh, that's something which you need to be prepared for. Probably need to frame that up and hang it on your wall. Because uh, I think when one steps out of the comfort of a corporate job, I mean, there are pressures in a corporate job, but it's, it's uh, end of the day, you're part of a system. There is a support group and uh, I think you have your money coming in. You have your bonuses, you have your stock options. So all that is, it's good to keep an eye on it. So that all that is there. But I think when you move out and leave all that behind, uh, one needs to definitely have a lot of, uh, I won't call it confidence, but I think there's a lot of uh, resilience and persistence required to strike it out because the initial days will be dark. Uh, if you pass through a pandemic, it's probably darker. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so that's there. So I think what would make a big difference is if one has a certain level of financial independence when one takes the plunge. Uh, if, if you're at a point where what you bring home is what pays the bills, then you're, in a, you're on thin ice. So I would not definitely recommend the entrepreneurial journey for someone who does not have a safety net. So I think you need to either have assets in place which can take care of the fixed costs uh, or, or a partner who's uh, got a full-time job, corporate job. So I think these, I mean, you have to have either one of these. So I think without this, it's good to have the romantic notion of being an entrepreneur, but you will hit the hard facts pretty soon that unless there's money coming in to pay the bills. So, so I would definitely recommend that uh, from a mindset perspective, you need to be clear that uh, initial days are dark. And I, I think uh, another very important factor is, like we've spoken earlier, uh, a lot of what to do, when to do, how to do is defined when you're in a corporate job. I think the moment you step out, you're entirely on your own. So it, it helps to have someone who can be your, uh, who can, who, with whom you can bounce ideas off, 
and you need to have that mental fortitude that okay i'm going to chart my own path and uh, there will be times when you don't know what to do you don't know uh, uh, what's next there's a lot of uncertainty but i think you just need to embrace it and go with the flow because it's 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 at those dark moments or when things are most uncertain that you suddenly get that eureka moment on the next thing so, so sometimes it 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 helps to have nothing to do so so if you're comfortable with having nothing to do if you're comfortable with that silence with sitting and working on your own and not being part of an office then i would say go for it but it's it's uh, not for everyone yeah i mean i think you've got to embrace uh, uncertainty there's no question about that because all of the things that you were used to for instance most perhaps most importantly for most people a a standard pay packet that you know you're going to get every month yeah. not none of that in business is there? so uh, yeah i mean embracing embracing the uncertainties are obviously important and that does require a bit of a psychological um reset uh, so yeah, that's very important, and I also agree on the um, on the safety net side of things. You can quickly find yourself in a very very dark place if that isn't in place. Because uh, certainly in my experience, it takes longer for things to get going than you might have uh, initially forethought. So it's it's best to uh, to plan ahead for that. No, brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff. And um, before we go, I mean. Um, where do people find out more about uh, about your businesses, the consulting and, uh, you know, Firefly and T-Stop? We'll put those in the description. Sure, sure. So I think uh, on the consulting side, like I said, we haven't, uh, we haven't set up a firm as such. So right now, I think the best place to find me would be on LinkedIn, where uh, we could always connect and talk uh, about your problems. And... Um, I should be able to give you solutions for uh, what you need. And if I cannot give you solutions, I can at least point you in the right direction of someone else who can help you. I think LinkedIn is where you could find me for my consulting uh, part. Uh, for the farm stay and for the coffee, you can find us on, we've got a website, we're there on Insta, uh, we're there on Facebook. So I think we can share some of these handles uh, on the uh, description of the video link and uh, I mean uh, if uh, I think for the website it's pretty simple it's uh, in so I think uh, you hit that you google that the t-stop I discovered is also a photographic term so I still need to get my SEO in place you is that not f-stop it's t-stop okay there is a t-stop also so, the, so yeah the f-stop is what we all are studying about but there is a t-stop also so yeah yeah, so, actually, yeah. Uh, actually thinking about it, as a video producer i should know that because t-stop is what we use on the uh cinematic lenses so rather than uh -huh. used on yeah. photography lenses so yes yeah you're absolutely right no uh thank you very much for that and we'll put those in the description below um i haven't yet managed to try your coffee i left India before you started this, I think. So I haven't, uh -huh. haven't tried it. And I am an avid coffee person. And uh, for those of you outside of India who, who don't know, Korg is one of the key coffee growing places in India. And it's amazing stuff. So I'm sure yours is uh, absolutely brilliant too. Well, look, Vikram, thank you so much for uh, for being on this uh, session today. It's uh, You've shown us a lot of um, uh, great insights in your journey from 
from corporate life into starting your own businesses. And I'm sure that will be very, very useful for our viewers. So thank you so much. And we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Joe. It's been great chatting with you. And I think uh, for you as well as for the rest of the listeners, I think the best way to enjoy a cup of firefly coffee is to sit in taste out and have it along with me. So hope to see all of you all soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.